Let's return to the passage that we read just a few moments ago with Blake from Luke chapter 1. Before we look at this passage, let's pray and ask the Father to teach us. Father, we bow before you, a congregation of your priests. At the end of this year, Father, we thank you for how you've heard your priests this year. How you have blessed in so many different ways in answering the prayers that were prayed in this place. We thank you for the healing. We thank you for the comfort. We thank you for wiping away the tears. For bringing joy even in the midst of sorrow. And so we continue to pray. Our Father, we pray for, continue to pray for Claire Reddit and Ray Lynch. We ask that you would grant them better sight that they might be able to continue to see and to see well, even beyond what's expected. Oh, Father, bless their vision. Bring healing. We pray for Linda Horde. We ask that you would bring healing, that this surgery would be successful, that the cancer would be removed. The treatments would be effective. Father, we lay that before you right now. And we know that when we've forgotten this prayer, that prayer will still be before you. Now, Father, as we open your word, we confess that John Sartell is not able to teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. He cannot, or any person who stands behind this desk, cannot speak in a way that would change hearts, that would change us at the very core of our being, that would grow us in Christ. So we pray this morning, Father, that you would speak. We're your children asking their father, oh, Father, teach us. Tell us a story one more time. Set it deep in our hearts. Give us a greater vision of your son. For his glory, we pray. Amen. What songs are you singing? What happens when a monumental event takes place? I mean, a huge event an event of historical significance. Stories are written about it. Poems are written. Sometimes epic poems are written. Songs are written to mark and to praise the heroic characters of those events. Two weeks ago, we thought together about the single greatest event in human history. 
It wasn't the single greatest event. wasn't about a war or revolution or about the rising of a great earthly king. The greatest event in human history we saw was the incarnation. That God, the creator, the God that holds the universe in his hands, became flesh. We looked and saw that the impact of the incarnation was colossal. The Son of God took on flesh. He became forever the Son of God and Son of Man. If you were not here then, and even if you were, go back in light of this morning's message and listen to that message on our website. The impact, it is colossal. More books, more poems, more songs have been written about that event than any other. It happened over 2,000 years ago. And we're still today writing and singing songs remembering that event. This morning, 2,000 years later, in Fayette County, Tennessee, we're singing about that event. Singing. Let's shift gears for a minute. From whence does music come? Where does it come from? The secular world says, well, Beethoven comes from genius artist. They, they create music. Beethoven, Bach, Handel. Some of us in the, the love for the more modern music would say the Beatles. How much did they change music? Elvis, the Rolling Stones, and then another genre, Vince Gill, Garth Brooks, Faith Hill. But were, are they creators? Did they create music? Is man the creator of music? Was it our idea? Who was the first musician? Where was music born? I listened as I listened to Tyler's message last week. I got so excited. Because it was sitting right there that I knew what I would preach this morning. The sermon had not been written then. I didn't reach back into a file and pull it out. Tyler preached from Zephaniah 3.17. It goes like this. It's on your scripture sheet. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And then look. He will exult over you with loud singing. Tyler's point was, as fallen and as sinful as we are, the absolute incredible thing beyond imagination is that God redeems us and rejoices over us and sings. It says it right there, sings over us. Now, probably you're like most Christians. You've never thought about God singing. You've thought about his people singing, the angels singing. 
But have you thought about God singing? I want this morning to begin where Tyler left off. Music did not originate from man. It was not man's idea. It was God's idea. If you have ability in music, and I'm not speaking this morning as one who does, make no mistake about it. This congregation will testify. Those of you here have heard me. I'm, I'm tone deaf. I don't have any ability in music, but for some reason God gave me a huge love of music, all kinds of music. But I'm tone deaf. Some of you can hear the soprano line, the alto line, the tenor line, and the bass line as Jay plays. I don't have a clue. I can't find it, any of those lines. Some of you play musical instruments because you took lessons. Some of you can play by ear. That is fun. I mean, it's just ridiculous. No lessons, but you play by ear. If you have ability in music, where does it come from? It comes from God. How do I know that? In Genesis chapter 4, in the middle of the genealogy of Cain, of all places, here's the genealogy of Cain, we find out there's a line there about music and where it comes from. Look at Genesis 4, 19. 22. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada. The name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents, who have livestock. He was a father of some of you this morning, ranchers, caring for livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah was born Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. God gave Jubal the ability to create music. Jay is a descendant of Jubal. <laughs> Shannon Key is a descendant of Jubal. Linda Hordes a descendant of Jubal. Dutch is a descendant of Jubal. We want in the next few months, I'm going to put a parenthesis here. We want in the next few months to, to find the descendants of Jubal in this congregation and get you up here to improve our singing and our worship. So why is our subject, why is this our subject on the fourth Sunday of Advent? Because this morning we read the first two songs of the Incarnation. And maybe you didn't know that. Let's look at it. These were the first two songs sung when the Incarnation was actually happened. Look at it. The angel had just told Mary she will conceive a child miraculously. And that child will be the long-awaited Messiah. 
The king for whom Israel had been awaiting, looking for. He gave Mary, when the angel announced this, he gave Mary further information that would both be confirmation to her and be a comfort to her. He told her that her relative, it was probably Mary's aunt. He told her that her aunt was pregnant. He did not tell her that, tell Mary that Elizabeth's child would be an ambassador to the Messiah to whom Mary would give birth. He gave Mary this information because Elizabeth was far beyond childbearing age. Had never conceived, even in her youth. Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, when the angel told him, you're going to have a child. Zechariah said, no, no, no. Look at, look at Luke 1.18. He said, I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. Now, there's an experienced husband right there. Right there. I'm an old man. Well, my wife, she's advanced in years. Same age, but advanced in years. The angel was saying to Mary, you think your conception is impossible. Well, your aunt, Elizabeth, as old as she is, has just conceived. Check it out. Elizabeth and Zachariah were not middle-aged. They were retirement age. She's having a baby. Mary, check it out. That's exactly what Mary did. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. With haste. He didn't have to put that in there, but he did. Mary, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the old country to a town in Judah. Here was a young girl, probably 16 to 18 years old. That was the customary age for marriage and childbirth in Jewish culture at that time, and sometimes even younger. An angel had come to her, this 16-year-old, 17-year-old, and said, you will conceive and have a son, and that son will be the Messiah. You know, what we see here is that she... You did not ponder this for four or five days, for two weeks or three weeks or four a month. She could not get to the hill country. She could not get to Elizabeth fast enough. She fled there. She ran there. When she arrived, what happened? Now stick with me. This is important. The details are important because it's often missed. Look at verse 40. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she, explained, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Now, I don't think Mary just simply walked into the house and said, Ave! Hello, Aunt Elizabeth. And that the baby then leaped in her womb. Now, I think when it says that when Mary greeted her, because Elizabeth, when she starts, when she responds, Elizabeth speaks in detail as if she knows 
the child that Mary is carrying is a Messiah, and the angel didn't tell her that. The only way she would have known that is if Mary told her. I think when Mary walked into that house, she was bursting. She had not told anyone, not her parents, no one. How do you do that? But the angel said, Elizabeth will know. She's your aunt. She literally ran to the hill country of Judea. She came through that door. Elizabeth, Aunt Elizabeth, you can't dream what has happened to me. She just burst with it. And then, you know, who had seen an angel? What girl in Israel had God ever sent a message from his throne saying, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah? And then Elizabeth responded with his beautiful response. Look at it. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled because Mary just simply didn't say, just, hello, Elizabeth. No. The greeting contained probably in a 10-minute summary all that had happened. And there was crying and there was tears. And as Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, see, she knows, should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of that spoken to her from the Lord. Now, biblical scholars have debated for a long time about whether this is a hymn or not. Uh, I believe Firmly, strongly, this was a song. Why do I believe that? Well, first, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. That means that her words were filled by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Exclaimed with a loud voice, that's what it said. That term is sometimes used in Scripture to describe liturgical singing. Elizabeth was a light, was the wife of a priest of Israel who had served in the temple all of his life, and she was from a priestly descent. She had been saturated from childhood with the songs of the temple. I think she was spontaneously responding to the greatest news she had ever heard with praise and joy. Now what happens next can't be debated. Mary responds with what had to be a hymn inspired by the Holy Spirit. The words are written in Hebrew poetry. The hymn was known, is known, has become known as the Magnificat. The title comes from the Latin words, the first Latin words of the hymn. Magnificat anima mea dominus. My soul, my anima. Mag, Magnificat glorifies dominus, the Lord. Make no mistake about it. This is poetry. Good poetry. The poem contains four strophes, four stanzas. Almost every line comes from some part of the Old Testament. Remember, Mary was described as a godly, holy young lady. She knew the Old Testament. Almost every line of that hymn comes from Old Testament scripture. It really resembles Hannah's prayer. 
in 1 Samuel 2 when she returns to the temple with Samuel to give him to the Lord. It, it, there's a lot of similarities between that and the Magnificat. So, first two songs of the Incarnation. What are the songs of the Incarnation? What are they? There are five that are revealed in Scripture. The song of Elizabeth, the song of Mary, the Magnificat, the song Zechariah sings when John the Baptizer is born, the song of the angels announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds. That's the fourth one. And finally, the song of Simeon when he healed baby Jesus. It became known as the Benedictus. These songs, I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about this. These five songs are sung in the moment. Are sung in the moment with passion. Let's consider them very quickly. Elizabeth had just heard Mary was to be the mother of the Messiah, her niece. She knew from the angel's words that the baby in her womb would go before the Messiah announcing his arrival. In her greeting, Mary disclosed, in the, in the greeting, when Mary disclosed what had happened to her, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's wounds. There's so much I want to say about this, and I can't, I don't have time. But I'm coming back about the fourth Sunday in January or the first Sunday in February, and we're going to talk about this. It's huge. There's so much here. She was filled with the Holy Spirit in response. Do you, well, do you think that this was some kind of ceremonious droning? I don't think so. It was filled with passion and joy. Mary's song that the Magnificat was sung in the moment with passion. She had told no one. The angel had directed her toward Elizabeth. When she arrived for the first time, she burst with this exciting news. This was not a cold, dispassionate musical droning. This was a young lady in the Holy Spirit praising God with someone who understood. Zachariah's song was sung at the birth of John the Baptizer. He had been mute for nine months. He hadn't spoken in nine months. What had happened? When the angel came into the temple and told Zechariah, you're going to have a baby, Zechariah said, yeah, right. I'm old. Look at my wife. That's not happening. The, the archangel reminded Zechariah, read it this afternoon. The angel actually said this. He said, Zechariah, I'm Gabriel. I stand. I stand in the presence of of Almighty God. You're not going to speak for nine months. You're speaking like that. And he couldn't speak. The next words he spoke were on the eighth day after John the baptizer was born. And they took him up to be circumcised. And he would receive his name. 
Wendy's, they asked who, you know, what's this baby's name? Elizabeth said, John. That was the name that the angel had said you should call him. John is his name. Well, the family standing there looked at Zachariah and said, are you going to let this happen? This baby needs, needs to be named Zachariah. John's not, we don't even have that name in our family. Zachariah wrote out on a tablet, his name is John. And immediately he was released and he could speak. And what did he speak? The fourth song of the incarnation. Now, you really think that was some kind of ceremonious droning? Wow. It was filled with passion and joy. Read it this afternoon. The fourth song of the incarnation was the angel coming to the shepherds announcing the birth of Messiah. You know that. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. I bring you good news of great joy. Great joy for all people. For you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in swallowing clothes and lying in a feed trough. Then what happened? You know, God could have just sent the angel. Okay. You've delivered the message. They're off. We don't need singing here. Had to be there. Did you think about that? He could have just sent that one angel. That was a video. But suddenly a thousand angels showed up with this one angel. They were singing. These angels had been in the presence of God in worship for centuries, maybe for a thousand years. Now the Prince of Heaven, the Son of God, had entered creation in the history of heaven. Nothing like this had ever happened. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. You think that was a ceremonious drumming? I don't think so. Then the fifth song of the incarnation was a benedictus by Simeon. Simeon had been told by God that he would see the Messiah. He was older, hadn't seen the Messiah yet, but he had been promised before you go home to glory, you're going to see the Messiah. One day, the Spirit moved him and said, get yourself to the temple right now, because it says he was in the Spirit. He goes to the temple, and on his way to the temple, he sees a couple with a baby. The Holy Spirit tells him that's the Messiah. And he goes and he holds. Think about that. How precious would that be? Simeon, this godly man, he takes hold of baby Jesus. And he really utters a prophecy. But he sings a song. Again, it's poetry. Now let your servant depart in peace. The Benedictus. People... There are songs all through Scripture. The songs of creation, the songs of the incarnation, the songs of salvation, the songs of the cross, the songs of the resurrection, the songs of the ascension, the songs of the consummation. He said, consummation, what's that? When Jesus returns and all of history is consummated, we sing about all those things. And what does the Bible tell us about our singing? The same thing that we see here. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We saw it this morning in our call to worship. All through 
the hymn book of the Old Testament. Come before the Lord with joyful singing. Make a joyful noise. I think this is one reason that as your minister, as your pastor, that God has withheld from me any ability in music. Because I know that some of you sit there and say, I'm not, I can't sing. I'm like, I can't sing. Well, I can't either. But I know one thing. God has not suggested. God has not said, John, it would be good for you. You need to think about this. God said, John, make a joyful noise to the Lord. There is a joy in that. I had a choir director one time. I was singing choir. I had a choir director. He said, John, when we get to this portion right here, he said, you can just mount the words. <laughs> but I think that's why that happened. There's no excuse, people. Do we only sing? How do we do that? How do we retain that passion? Do we only sing because the incarnation is the greatest event in human history? Is that the reason? Well, that's a very good reason. God becoming flesh. But we have even a greater reason to sing passionately. The incarnation was not only invasion of human history by the Son of God. It was that. But in the incarnation, he has invaded our personal lives. Remember two weeks ago, we asked a question. Where would the world be today without the incarnation? What if the incarnation had not had happened? There would be no Christ. There would be no Messiah. No New Testament. No gospel. No cross. No resurrection. No salvation. No forgiveness of sin. No church. Not a single church. People take all of the churches out of the land. Take the Bible out of the land. Take the message of the gospel out of the land. Take the worship of God out of the land. Take all this out for the last 2,000 years. What would the world look like? We got a vision of what the world would look like in the 20th century. We got a vision. As Hitler and the Third Reich said, get the churches out, get Christ out, get the Bible out, get the New Testament out. We got a vision of what that world would look like that killed, murdered, savagely murdered, cruelly murdered. In one of the countries that's known for its education and civilization, they killed six million Jews. That's what happens when you take God out and you take Christ out and you take Scripture out. We saw it again with Marx and Lenin, Stalin. Get the church out. Get the Bible out. Burn them. Get the Christians out. Slay them. There'll be no preaching of God's Word here, no preaching of Christ here. How many people were trying to get into Russia 
How many people were trying to migrate to Russia during Stalin's day? You saw it again in China. Marx in China, Mao Zedong. 46 million people killed. Get Christ out. Get the Bible out. Get the church out. That's what happens. So yeah, there's a reason to sing that we have the incarnation. But no, there's another reason. Where would my life be? Not my country, not my land. Where would my life be without the incarnation? Where would my life be without Christ, without the gospel, without the cross, without the resurrection, without the Bible? Where would our families be? Where would your family be today without Christ, without Scripture? Where would our marriages be? I know one thing. I don't want my life without Jesus. You don't want John Sartell's life without Christ. It would be a heinous. I'm not talking about a sad life. It would be in a mean, self-centered, uncaring life. Get all you can of everything you can. And there's no law. And there's no one to answer to. That is why the hymns of the Incarnation continue to be written and sung to this very hour. Today we don't have five songs of the Incarnation. We have 5,000 songs of the Incarnation. There are songs of Jesus, the songs of the cross, the songs of the resurrection, the songs of grace, the songs of the confession of sin, the songs of repentance, the songs of faith that we sing in the darkest hour. So what songs are you singing? That's my question as we close. What songs are you singing? In your elementary age, what songs are you singing? You're in high school, what songs are you singing? In college, what songs are you singing? As adults and parents, what songs are we singing? Does this mean that we only sing hymns of the church? No. No, 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 no. We have songs about the precious love shared between a woman and a man. So they don't talk about Christ, but they talk about the love that God has given us. Song of Solomon, and there's a book about it. The Song of Solomon is a song between a man and a woman. They're talking about physical love. They're talking about soul love. They're talking about love between two people. We have songs of friendship, songs of patriotism, songs about hard times, songs reflecting sorrow and hurt. It's okay to sing those hymns. But not all songs are good songs. Many songs of the secular culture. Now listen, if you're a teenager, please, college student, please listen to this. Please listen to it. Not all songs are good songs. Many songs of the secular culture are written and sung in outright rebellion against God and his word. It hurts my soul. 
when I see young people, when I see adults at a concert. And not all concerts are bad. But not all concerts are good. And you see them singing. And that singing, the words are songs of immorality and perversity, songs advocating the ascendancy of man and the deconstruction of God. And it's sad. So we need to ask, what songs are you singing? Are they the songs of the incarnation? Do the songs of the incarnation dominate all the rest of your life? Do you sing the songs of the incarnation with the same passion that you sing your university's fight song? Do you sing the songs of the incarnation with the passion that you sing your favorite rock song? We close with this. A couple I know went to a Tennessee football game at Neyland Stadium. They were so excited about it. This was years ago. They had never been to a football game in Neyland Stadium. They were really excited. They came from two different universities in Mississippi. They dearly loved their universities. The seats that they had that day, they were, they, they were surrounded by a sea of orange. When the Vols ran through the power tee, Formed by the band. The band was playing Rocky Top. And approximately 90,000 people were standing and singing Rocky Top with the passion that they do. Suddenly, the wife realized that her husband had stood. And he was singing Rocky Top to the top of his lungs. She looked at him and said, what are you doing? <laughs> Folks, you can't sing the songs of the incarnation and at the same time sing the songs of the culture of the Antichrist. You just can't do it. What songs... Are you singing? If they are the songs of the incarnation, are you singing them in the moment with passion? Our hymn is most fitting.